Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Yes Men. I'm Lou DiPietro. To my left, as always, is my co-host, Doug Williams. And to my immediate left, or in the center of the three of us, actually, right now, is our first guest of the show. Uh, we're going to start off with a little bit of hockey talk, as the NHL season is now about a week underway. We have with us our good friend and uh, hockey analyst, Seth Rothman, from Inside Hockey, who covers the Rangers and the NHL. And we're going to talk a little blue shirt. Seth, first of all, welcome to the cozy Yes Men studio. It's good to be here. Uh, Let's start off with the positives. Is the Rangers are one and three at this point, heading into Thursday night's game with the Hurricanes. Rick Nash, this looks like the Rick Nash we've been waiting for for two seasons now. You know, well, the first time I I saw Rick this season, the first thing I noticed was this guy's in really good shape. I mean, he worked hard over this entire summer. You could tell he came in into camp, he was in shape, ready to go. You kind of had a feeling. This was going to be one of those seasons for him where he was going to be really good, and he has been really good. Goals in the first four games, the first Ranger to ever score a goal in the first four games of of, of the regular season. So he's been good. If you would have told me that Rick Nash scored six goals in the first four games, I never would have thought they would have been in the spot that, that they were now. Seth, when uh, Dan Boyle got hurt, I was on Twitter, and everyone's freaking out about it. And I was kind of wondering, I was like, do I really think it's that big of a deal? He's, you know, the Rangers are pretty deep. They have all the guys that got them the championship last year, McDonough, Girardi, Stahl. And now I'm totally rethinking that because Hunwick and Costco, they've not been great. What is the future of, of that spot in, in terms of the entirety of Boyle's absence? Are they just going to keep, you know, plugging in the hot hand with those two? You know, it's funny because I asked AV pretty much that exact question today. I said, you know, has the biggest issue been finding that second pair D-man to go with, with Mark Stahl? His answer really was, I'm not so much worried about that other guy. I'm worried about Mark because Mark Stahl has not been the Mark Stahl that he saw when the Rangers were winning games last season. Mark Stahl has not been playing well. He also called out Girardi. He also called out McDonough. So he was talking about those 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 three guys, but I also think there is a bigger issue here, which is, Dan Boyle is out for the next three to five weeks still. He's only been injured for six days. He's out for three to five weeks. The Rangers do not have a guy they can put into that spot. Hunwick has been serviceable but not great. Costco was a you know, train wreck. Um, uh, and they don't, they don't have anybody else that they can put in that spot. John Moore's not that guy. Kevin Klein was not that guy either. So, so who do you put in there? You, there's... There's nobody you can put into that top four role, and the problem is now you've got McDonough Girardi playing 24 minutes a night. You need somebody to pair with Mark Stahl. They haven't been able to find anybody. It's one of those situations, it it happens in a lot of sports too, where you wonder if you can just simply plug someone into that hole or if you have to rearrange, you know, Rod Peter to pay Paul kind of of speak to rearrange the lineups and everything. And and like you said, the the defense is big because Henrik Lundqvist is also – not look like the Henrik Lundqvist that has been New York's goaltender for the last seven or eight years. Yeah, there were a lot of interesting uh, conversations that I had in the Ranger locker room Tuesday night after, after that game. And, you know, one of them with Henrik Lundqvist was he said when the team starts to lose its structure, he said he loses his structure. And it was interesting to me that, that, that he was talking about how when, when the defense starts to go, he feels that pressure. You know, I, I think it was him who said um, – these guys want to win so badly that when things go wrong, they start trying to do too much, and it ends up affecting them the wrong way. So, 
you know, it's not – I mean, these guys want to win. These guys want to get back there. And, and when things have started to snowball, they've gotten out of hand because – and as a couple of guys have now said, they've started to completely panic. And I heard that on practice day Wednesday today, and I heard that as well Tuesday after the game that that – They've started to panic when things have started to go wrong, and that's an issue. It's a correctable issue, but that's certainly in one of the issues right now. And there have been some you know, positives of the Rangers season so far. You mentioned at the beginning Rick Nash is playing well. They have had some line combinations that have looked great. Lee Stepniak has looked terrific so far this season. And the combination of St. Louis, he's not a center, but him on a line with Rick Nash has looked terrific. I wanted to ask you, you know, how big of a deal do you think not having Derek step on, not having that center presence is? Because, like, do you think that they're going to keep these combinations even when he gets back? Do you think they realize that we need uh, step St. Louis, Nash on the same line? Or do you think they're going to switch everything up again? Do do you think AV is going to let that kind of weakness up the middle totally change the lineup once he gets back? Well, first of all, I don't think the answer is Marty St. Louis at center. Um, I, I think what we've noticed in these first few games is he's not been the offensive powerhouse we thought he was going to be. The reason is he's too focused defensively at his you know spot. In AV's you know system here, the center has the most defensive responsibility, and so St. Louis is really had to take a more defensive role, even in the offensive zone, making sure that the other team doesn't go on an on-man break. So. I don't think St. Louis is, is is at center. His faceoffs have been better. He's he's played okay, but I think you're losing a lot of offense with him right now that I think you're going to want to keep. Um, obviously, Nash is playing well. It's 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 interesting what Duclair has done because it was pretty obvious to me that they really wanted J.T. Miller and Jesper Fast to be on this team. They both are scratched right now because you don't want to put either of them on on the fourth line. And you've got Duclair taking up a spot that nobody expected him to take. So, so you've you've sort of seen a team that looks a lot different than what a lot of us expected, because of this 19-year-old who's come in and just stolen the entire show. That was that was going to be my next question. Was was Anthony Duclair? He came out of nowhere, for lack of a better way to put it, and made his impression felt in the preseason. And now he's here. He's got a couple assists in his first few games. How has he looked in a vacuum individually with? handling being so young and being now being counted as a top six forward almost. You know, I, I said earlier that if, if you told me the Rangers would be one and three after Rick Nash scored six goals in the first four games, well, if you told me that Anthony DeClaire was going to make this team and be an impact player for this team, I think he's got three points already, and they were still one and three, you wouldn't believe that either. I mean, he's been tremendous. The thing you really like about him is his poise. For a 19-year-old, he doesn't look panicked by the moment we talked about some of his teammates are playing panicked when they get back Duclair has not looked panicked at all at any spot he has looked like a veteran at times look he's still young mistakes will be made we get that but Duclair has been tremendous for them I I, uh, I would be very surprised if they sent him down there is no nine game limit with him by the way his his entry-level deal tolls no matter what this you know season so so they can keep him up for nine games. They can keep him up for 29 games or for 82 games. It, it really doesn't matter. This happens a lot in hockey, Seth. It happened with Tortorella and Kreider, and now it just seems to keep happening with A.V. and J.T. Miller. What exactly is J.T. Miller doing to get into that doghouse? Because there's something he's, he does consistently. He did it last year. Obviously, he was just scratched, so he's done it already in the short season this year. What is it that he does that A.V. just doesn't like? He doesn't play defense. I mean, that's really what it is. His defense 
is not where AV needs it to be. We talked about how the center needs to be the most defensively aware player in AV's system. JT Miller, as a, as a center, has not been that guy. That's why they've moved him to the wing a, a couple times, to, to try and you know shield him from that. But he's not been good enough defensively in his own end, in his offensive end. He just has not been that guy. It's not all about scoring goals. You've got to defend as well as, as we've seen here. Uh, and JT Miller, at some point here, has to figure out the defensive side of his game. Figuring out the defensive side of the game is, you know, is, is going to help, obviously. But scoring goals is the name of the game. And the Rangers have 11 of them in four games. Outside of Rick Nash, they have five goals. What is, outside of you know, injuries, you can say step on and moving San Luis and all that, what's going on? Well, you know what? They've got 11 goals. They've got five goals from everybody else. You know what they don't have? A power play goal. They have not scored a power play goal yet. 0 for 11. I think last time they were uh, 0 for the first four games in the power play was when they started in Stockholm back in 2011-12. So, so they've struggled on that power play. They were working on it in you know practice. They were working on it at the morning skate on Tuesday. So they're working at it. Power play didn't look bad on Tuesday night. They just didn't score. Um, I, th- I think a lot of their issues come down to confidence right now. And right now, the power play doesn't have much confidence. The defense doesn't have a whole lot of confidence. And, and I think that is one of the issues with the offense that, that we're seeing right now, too, in, in that way. And Malone actually looked good on the power play last night, I thought, and he brought a different dimension. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to switch sports here for a second. A lot of people were saying, you know, when the Seahawks lost last weekend to the Cowboys, people were saying maybe they just think they can show up and win. They're that talented. Do you think there's any way, and the reason you're on, your, on this show is because you're a hockey expert. It may not be this way in hockey. But is there any way that you think the Rangers, coming back, Eastern Conference champions, think that they can now just, they have the talent to just show up and win? Do you think they're a little complacent after having such a successful season? Early in the year, they're just thinking, well, we're going through the process. We're going to be in the playoffs uh, come next summer. I don't think they're going into games that way, but I do think that that is how they are responding to these issues right now. They responded a couple guys. Broussard said to me today, he said, you know, I've been there before. I've been in this league for five you know, seasons now. I know what it takes to get out of a slump like this. A lot of the guys in this room know what it takes to get out of a slump like this. There's also a lot of very young players on this team right now that maybe don't have that experience, that the veterans need to impart on them. So I don't think they're coming into games that way. I mean, look, they dominated the Islanders for, for 40 minutes last night. They had 25 more shot attempts than the Islanders did through 40 minutes last night. That's a massive amount. So... They were great last night until all of a sudden the wheels fell completely off. That's sort of a double-edged sword, it seems. You know, you mentioned earlier how Duclair doesn't look panicked in the moment. Maybe he doesn't know any better. But then on the other hand, when there are situations where you need to know better with all the young players, it's that lack of experience also is the, the other side of the coin there. Last question I'm going to pose to you is going forward. The Rangers have what they have now. Boyle will be back in a few weeks. Stepan will hopefully be back you know, a little later in the season. Is there anything they can switch up now in anticipation of that, that maybe this is the time to try something? Maybe this is the time to try somebody in that spot, maybe switch up Stahl and Girardi kind of thing. Is there something possibly they can do to jumpstart what looks to be a, a little lethargy in the, uh, in the entire game plan? I don't know if I'd say that it's a, a lethargic game plan. I, I think what it is is it's a mental game right now for them. Um, and I wrote about this after Tuesday night's game, after last night's game. I, I said, 
they're going to have to figure it out by themselves. There's no help coming. The Rangers don't have salary cap space. So I, I've seen people say they should go out and they should get, you know, Jeff Petrie from the Edmonton Oilers. Well, he's got a $3 million cap hit. They don't have $3 million. So I don't know where you're getting that guy from. There's no help coming from outside the, the this team. They have to figure it out by themselves because this is the group right now. Even with Stepan on long-term injury reserve, once he comes back, they're going to be right up, up against it. So they're not getting a whole lot of help. They've got to figure it out by themselves. And, and frankly, you expect that they will it's at some point. The question is, how long will it go? Remember, it's a four-game homestand, 14 of 19 at home. This is really the time of the year when they've got to get some points because they're going to have a lot more road games second half of the season. Uh, before we let you go, I'm going to compare sports one more time. Same two sports, NFL and NHL. I like to do this. The Giants went 0-6 last year. They started off on a little losing streak this year. People were saying, you know, maybe they're scared of doing that again. The Rangers got off to a tail- terrible start last year, but succeeded. I mean, at the end of the year, going all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals, is there any way that they're thinking, we got off to a slow start last year. This doesn't really matter. It's early in the season. We'll get it together. We did last year. We had all those games out west, and then we came back to New York, and eventually we were obviously fine. Do you think they are not valuing these games as highly as they probably should be? No, I, I think they're valuing the games, but I, I, I do think what they're saying is we know how to get out of this slump. You know, this is a slump that we can figure our way out of. We figured our way out of it last season. We can figure it our way out of it again. But the other thing that I've been hearing a, a lot of is we don't want to talk about last season anymore. Last season is over. It's a new group. Lundquist said that, you know, last night. He said, you can ask me about last year all you want. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Last year's over. Last year's done. This is a new team. It's a new group. There's new struggles. It's similar, but these guys are saying it's not the same. We'll see if the result is the same in the end, I guess. We've got 78 more games to go to to see if the Rangers are in a prime position to defend their Eastern Conference championship. Seth Rothman, thank you as always for coming on. You can check out Seth's stuff on Inside Hockey. Follow him at Rothman Hockey on Twitter and enjoy uh, his wisdom about the Rangers and occasionally the Islanders and Devils if they do something worth <laughs> mentioning. Uh, I know our old compel- compatriot Joe Ariema would love to hear more Devil stuff, but uh, he won't. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Seth. We appreciate it. You want to you stick around for the rest of the podcast and watch us, uh, watch us do our thing? Or will, what are you going to do? I will listen in here. All right. Well, let's give him something to talk about, Doug. Let's, uh, let's go right into our NFL. Uh, bonanza, yeah, why not? Why as not, usual. Right? Um, we did very well last week, you and I. Have we, you, uh, you've computed the, uh, the stats? 12-2-1 we were uh, oh. last week. I lived um, to see another day. I, I almost got the double or nothing, but I... Almost did, yes. It was a draw. Uh, I don't know how, how we have to count ties. I guess we just count it as an N1. We just do of the same thing win, next yeah. week. Well, no, I mean like the tie with Cincinnati and Carolina. Oh, yeah. Like it just, it's there. Got to put it in our record it's, the same way they do, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. Sure, we'll go with that. So we're 12-2-1. and one. Um, The two games we differed on, I had Atlanta and I... Don't think I'm going to be able to pick Atlanta again the rest of the season because they just don't look good at home either. And then they're going to have a game where they score 40 points yeah. and Julio Jones and Roddy, Jones, Roddy White both have two touchdowns and they'll make us all feel foolish. But that game was not at all what anyone expected it to be because oh, no. it was actually kind of a close game and it was lower scoring. I thought 41-35, that kind of game, but it wasn't at all like that. We all thought the same thing. I mean, as you 
you know, and as the, those who listen probably know, I was in Philly this weekend for the Giants-Eagles game. Driving from Atlantic City to tailgate to the game on Sunday, we were all looking at things and we're thinking, we, we should bet on this. We should hammer the over. This is Atlanta at home against a Chicago team that can score points in bunches with their wide receivers. And it just, like you said, it wasn't even close to that. It was defensive totally different or game. non-offensive more than offensive, I and guess. Chicago doesn't have Lance Briggs, doesn't have Peanut Tillman. You know, doesn't have missing, a lot of guys. They're missing the majority of their defensive players. And, I mean, it's just so hard to predict. But we do it pretty well. We I mean, well. granted, we don't even do spreads or anything like that. Our predictions no, are just win-lose. So that's not that hard, but... The other, yeah, the other game we uh, we differed on was uh, one where I said I thought Baltimore's defense was going to be the key at Tampa Bay. <laughs> Little did I know that Baltimore's offense was going to be the key with Joe Flacco going ham on that Bucks. Well, team. I would still say my prediction of of Tampa winning the game in general was stupider than you saying that Baltimore's defense was going to be the key. But uh, yeah, I thought Tampa just had a good chance at home to go for the upset, and then I was on the train on Sunday afternoon and I looked at my ESPN Score Center app and I thought it was lying to me. Considering they were losing, I think it was forty-one nothing at some point. Yeah, and guys that that even Joe Flacco had never heard of were scoring touchdowns against that Buccaneers defense. Here, here's my issue with all of this. I have no idea what to make of the NFC South right now. And I know I mentioned this last week, where I said that the insert winner of Seattle, San Fran, Arizona versus Philly Giants, Dallas game is going to be the number one seed. They're just proving this more and more true every week. I have no idea what to make of the NFC South. Carolina is has a tie where they, under any other overtime rules used in NFL history, would have lost that game. They have a win where they came back on Chicago in an incredible fourth quarter. They're the best team in the division record-wise, and they don't look that good. No. On the often. New Orleans can't play defense and can't score against good defenses all of a sudden. Atlanta is the most bipolar team in the league through six games. And Tampa Bay, I mean, they're one and five because they got lucky. I, I mean, I, no, I, don't, I, mean I, I don't know what's keeping them from being 0 and 6. It's a good point. And we'll get into our week seven picks in a second, but the, you have another set of choices to make with that division. Um, I, I honestly. I don't know what to tell you about Carolina. They're very confusing. There are moments where you're like, it's Cam Newton and nobody else. He doesn't have any pieces. And then Kelvin Benjamin will make a great play, and you realize Greg Olson's still there. Their running game is a disaster dark hole where running backs go to die because they don't do anything. Darren Reeves has done nothing. Jonathan Stewart and D'Angelo Williams have done nothing for five years. Yeah. Um, So they don't really run the football. But their defense has been pretty good for the past two years. But – Everyone's talking about Luke Keekley at the beginning of the year. He's the best linebacker in football. He's been really disappointing this year. Really hasn't been the player he was last year. So, yeah, I mean, you just posed a question, and I don't have an answer for you. It's just going to continue to be confusing until someone wins. I'm a little disappointed based on both my love of the Muppets and bad comedy that nobody, maybe Chris Berman did, I didn't see the the blitz, but nobody on the radio or anywhere made a joke when Fozzie Whitaker scored his touchdown where he basically walked into the end zone. Nobody made a he walka walka walk at his way into the end zone. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in that. Uh, just as disappointed as I am in the end. These NFC are things South. that you care about that I do not care. Right, exactly. I, hey, like I said, my love of bad comedy and the Muppets. Uh, the other game we lost, obviously, was Dallas at Seattle. I don't think anybody would think that was a bad pick. I don't think anybody would have laughed at you had you picked Dallas either, thinking, "Oh, hey, you never, you never know." 
But I don't think too many people expected that game to go the way it did, no. especially in the fourth quarter. And I think most, mostly people wouldn't have said, no, Dallas is not a good team. They, we knew they were a good team, yeah. or at least overachieving. But um, to say that anyone's going to go into Seattle and win, usually you're going to be greeted with a, you're crazy. And 90, 90% of the time, yeah, that's not going to happen. It's they just, don't lose it, that off yeah, at home. It doesn't happen, and their team is just so well-rounded, you're wondering what edge could Dallas possibly have. And now we really know, we knew, but now we really know that DeMarco Murray and this running game is a force to be reckoned with. And... The Cowboys are doing smart things. I said this on Twitter <laughs> on Sunday. I was like, the Cowboys actually being good is a weird, disgusting feeling. It is. I feel dirty after Sundays watching them play and watching them make correct decisions and watching Tony Romo not screw up the end of games and watching Jason Garrett call the right plays. I don't know. I don't believe what I'm watching. And they can go three and seven and be just as good as they have been for the last five years. Exactly. They have no pressure on them. They can just no. screw up the rest of the year and end up exactly where they're supposed to be an eight and eight oblivion. Yep. Somehow close to a playoff spot in week 16. But, uh, you know, I, love- I mean, that starts this week when they, they get into the teeth of division play. I don't think anyone considers the Redskins the teeth of division play. Which is nice at, for the other at three. At this point, yeah. Uh, it starts this week, but. DeMarco Murray is legitimately in the MVP conversation right now, along with Andrew Luck and a few other guys. He is he he is making people remember Emmett Smith at this point. The way he's running the ball, the way he's confident running the ball, the way the Cowboys keep feeding him the ball and just say, "Here you go." And then they use Des Bryant and Jason Witten still got something in him, and Terrence Williams with that incredible catch. Terrence Williams I, is good for Romo an acrobatic be, catch every week. He had to be throwing the ball to Witten, and he, Witten never would have caught yeah. that. And here comes Terrence Williams out of nowhere saying. and makes that catch, which was huge in the grand scheme of things. And at, to add another thing to the list that doesn't feel right to watch, the Jerry Jones camera shots where he's, like, happy and celebrating. I don't want to see those. I don't <laughs> no. want to see Jerry Jones happy. I want Jerry Jones to be miserable. I want him, you know, slamming down a cocktail and, and wondering why Jason Garrett's still the coach of his team. But... Those don't seem to happen anymore. See, that's one thing that can bring an Eagles and a Giants fan together is our mutual right. hatred of the Dallas Cowboys and everything associated with that franchise. Speaking of which, you were at the Eagles game. I was. Um, I just talked about this with Chris Sheeran. This game was so frustrating. I wonder if, if – I'm trying to picture if I were on the other side of it, if I were an Eagles fan and it's a blowout. Do you wish as much as I did? I just wanted it to be it to be a good game. I'd had a whole Sunday of sitting there and watching TV, really good football games. The Rangers come on, 7 p.m. game that night, stunk up the house. Then you have Sunday Night Football, and I'm counting on it. Just give me three hours of solid entertainment. Right. I don't think the Giants are going to win, but just give me a good game. Not only was it not a good game, it wasn't even – like the kind of blowout where the Eagles fans are just loving it the whole way through. It got to a point where both teams were just kind of putting in the time. Nick Foles made a few dumb plays, but the Giants offensive line in general just could not allow Eli Manning or their running game to do anything. So it was just like watching the Giants fail to move the ball. The Eagles get the ball back. Maybe they score. Maybe they turn the ball over and rinse and repeat. It just was a strange game. It really was. It was, it was nice to be on the, the good side of it. As a fan, I much prefer to watch good games than blowouts, even when my team is involved. I mean, the Bears game last year, an example, it was 55 to 11 or whatever it was on Sunday Night Football. About the third quarter is like, all right, let's just let's just get this over with and hope nobody gets hurt. Right. Which Darren Sproles did. He's going to be out for a couple weeks. Victor Cruz, unfortunately, is going to be out for the season. You know, he got what a terrible thing! Terrible thing. And 
listen, I, I'm going to take the task Philly in a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to get to this point. You mentioned Nick Foles making a couple mistakes. Here's the thing that separates the opposite sides of the, of the blowout fence. We were texting back and forth at halftime when I took my, pl- my phone off airplane mode because my battery was low from checking scores all day. And I said, remind me to, to rip the two-minute offense on Wednesday. And I almost you said, called you and screamed at and you. And you said, your team's winning 20 to nothing, and you're going to complain about a two-minute offense? Like, you're going to use our precious podcasting time to nitpick about your team that blew the Giants out right. and how they don't have a good two-minute drill? But see, now, here's the thing. Like I said, here's the opposite side of the coin. For you as a Giants fan, you're looking at your team and going, okay, the offensive line couldn't stop anybody. Eli never got anything going. Andre Williams wasn't really dynamic. The Eagles' defense just killed them. And then the Jet, the Giants' defense, as I sort of kind of mentioned last week, I thought the tight ends were going to have a big day because of it over the middle. And Casey had the one touchdown. Ertz had a big day and had a touchdown. You know, Selleck had a few big catches. That sort of came to fruition. So you can look at those things and say this is when, well, went wrong, blah, 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 blah. As an Eagles fan, yes, I'm happy that my team won 27 to nothing. I'm happy that they dominated the Giants of all teams because it's a division rival. It's a huge game on Sunday night, all that jazz. However, I look at it and go, okay, what's going to happen when we play a team that doesn't give up eight sacks and doesn't have an offense that looks out of rhythm all night and stays in the game? What's going to happen when Nick Foles throws a bad back foot interception in the two-minute drill? What's going to happen when they need points in that two-minute drill and their two-minute drill, which should be easy given the Eagles' hurry-up offense, looks atrociously bad? Yeah, those no, are the I things mean, you have. To, I, all right, you have to look at you being Eagles fans and right. you included. Those are the things I look at and say, okay, yeah, great, we won, but I see the point you're making. You, you know what can you fix? I think that Nick Foles may be a, a good quarterback, but last year he had. The most explosive running back in the game, bar none. Mm-hmm. He had LaShawn McCoy, 5.3 yards per carry yep. LaShawn McCoy. And a lot of quarterbacks can excel with that in your backfield. And that LaShawn McCoy finally showed up for the Yeah, first he time played very Sunday well. Night. Nick Foles does not look like a very good quarterback right now. He no, made I would agree he with made that. some really poor decisions. And I was like watching like this on my couch, like this doesn't even matter. But still he made some really bad throws, and, and that game felt like it should have been 41 nothing. And I, I thought about it as an Eagles fan, as you. I would have wondered, you leave that game thinking, yeah, we won 50 nothing. No, you won 27 nothing against a team that legitimately could not. They were just going backwards. It they, was like second and 40 the, the whole game. Oh, that one stretch where they had two penalties, three penalties in a row, and then a loss. It was like second and 37. Whenever Eli had first and 10, just a normal first and 10, he usually got a first down on like a 15-yard pass. Then we'd move forward. Holding. <laughs> False start. <laughs> two timeouts. Eli just, oh, timeout. I don't have enough time. Oh, timeout again. Uh, holding. Illegal um, hands illegal, to yeah. the face. And suddenly it's third and 50, and there's no chance of the Giants going anywhere. So... You know, no, it's probably my phone ringing. Yeah, over there. Okay, phone's ringing, but um, yeah, I if I were an Eagles fan, I would be really happy about their defense. But at the same time, um, you you have to wonder. Yes, the Eagles' defense looked good, but you know how much of a reflection just purely on the Giants' offensive line was that? Right, and that's that's like I said, you have to wonder about those those bad mistakes. There were plays where you wonder what the hell they're doing. You know, I I mentioned a couple times on this podcast about how. I don't think Chip Kelly grasps the let's run the clock out a little bit instead of throwing on first down. They did that in the two-minute drill where they're throwing the ball on second down, which, okay, it's a two-minute drill. You know, 
even with a big lead, you still want to add on blah, blah, blah. But then later in the game, they actually looked like they had that idea. There were three straight running plays. I know by the time the middle of the fourth quarter came and Trey Burton was in at running back, who was a quarterback in, in high school and a tight end at Florida and now is in the game as a running back. Trey Burton? Trey Burton. What a bro name. Trey, What's up, Trey Burton? Trey Burton. He's a, he's a house, too. That dude's a big <laughs> dude. Uh, go Gators. Um, you know, that by then, yeah, obviously it's – and, you know, you're in blowout mode. But even like in the late third quarter and early fourth when the game was still score-wise close, I'll say that. It was like, okay, let's run the ball. There was one entire drive where they just took three minutes off the clock and didn't even bother trying to get a first down, it seemed. Just running the same play three times. Let's take a couple minutes off the clock, punt it. You know, they had decent field position, but not great. I think they were on around the 35, which is better field position than most of the Giants' drives started in, unfortunately. And they just kind of ground out the clock, got one first down, just kept running, you know, took five minutes off the clock, punted, and that was it. Yep. It was finally that moment where you're like, maybe he does understand you have to do this. So, you know, now going forward, they have a bye week to figure these things out. On that, Like I said, on that side of the coin, as an Eagles fan, you have to look and say, how does Nick Foles stop making these mistakes? Yep. Um, two things. First of all, <clears throat> you made the cardinal sin of tweeting about a play that those of us watching at home who weren't at the game could see instant replay knew it was the right call. You thought it was Talking the wrong call. Talking about the face mask yeah. that was not called on They were holding hands. Have you seen the replay? I, yeah, I did once you I did once you uh, on trail roll yeah. somehow. It looked like he yanked his whole head off, but they were like holding hands weirdly. That's cute. It was very strange. Okay. That's cute. I think it's time for our week 7 picks I think because so. I think we're going to want to briefly go through our uh, MLB playoffs thoughts. Yep. Um, Thursday night game you got your uh, your Jets laughing stock. I don't even stock. know what the spread is, and I still wouldn't take the Jets. Yeah, uh, Jets at New England. I think we're both going to take New England. Yep. Um, Minnesota at Buffalo. Okay. I had a lot of trouble with my picks this week. Oh, okay. Not just because I made them this morning because, you know, I was out Monday and you were out yesterday. Here's, here's my issue with this. Minnesota is the team capable of scoring 42 points against Atlanta. And then laying a dud against Detroit, who has the number one ranked defense in the NFL, but we're talking like a, a legit dud with an explosive quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. Buffalo, on the other hand, looked on Sunday, from what I saw of it, that they're not quite ready for prime time, but they looked better. So it came down to Buffalo's the home team. Yep. That's my pick. Buffalo's exact same the home for team. me. Same thing. Home team. Uh, Miami at Chicago. Same thing. Yep. Miami looked good. Yeah, they didn't week. look bad. I mean, you know, they almost beat We the knew Packers. they were a decent team. Chicago, obviously, Atlanta, you know, that game wasn't what it was. Chicago's the home team. It's tough to win at Soldier Field in October. Yep. Um, New Orleans at Detroit. Another tough game. Yeah. And I'm Costanzaing this one and going with New Orleans for one reason. Oh, Lou, you don't do that, man. No, I, I'm going with New Orleans. Here's why. New Orleans sucks on the road. We know this. They stunk on the road for years. This game's in a dome. For some reason, the the Cowboys game, notwithstanding, they play better in domes or warm climates or you know whatever it is. <laughs> we treat them like plants. Detroit has Detroit has the number one defense. New Orleans probably won't have Jimmy Graham. That might actually help, I think, in this case because Drew Brees is going to have to look for everybody. Yeah. 
And we'll see how good that Detroit defense is. And Detroit's offense, especially if Megatron's kind of limited again, especially if, you know, Bell is out with his concussion symptoms again, this one could be like 17-14. I mean, Buffalo, Buffalo went into Detroit and and won that game. Yeah, I think... I I, I don't know. I like Detroit in this game. Uh, I like them a lot in this game, but... You know, New Orleans has the kind of offense where they could prove me wrong. The thing is, Joyke, play, Joyke Bell played last week. I think um, Calvin may be back in a little bit bigger of a role because this is a bigger game. Yeah. And I think that uh, Matt Stafford, number one ranked defense, with that explosive offense that I saw against the Giants in week one, I'm taking Detroit. All right, Carolina at Green Bay. Uh, I have Green Bay. Again, the NFC South being the Jekyll and Hyde division it is. Green Bay... I think I said this a few weeks ago, and I was referencing the Giants-Arizona game. Good teams find ways to win games they shouldn't, and Green Bay has done that this Mm -hmm. year. The NFC North, again, is almost as Jekyll and Hyde a division as the South. Green Bay, they find ways to win games. Carolina seems to find ways to lose games, and outside of the Chicago game, of course, because they found a great way to win that one. Green Bay at home. I I, I mean, that's, again, for the third time, I'm going to say Green Bay is the home team. Yep. Yeah, Green Bay's at home, and you know Carolina coming off that weird tie where they were like celebrating off the field, but just at the fact that they didn't lose. Um, I don't think Carolina's that great of a team, and I don't think Cam Newton is going to be great in in Lambeau. Um, I put dashes next to a few games that I just thought about for a long time, could not figure out. Cincinnati at Indy, this is one of them. Who do you who do you have? Uh, I have Indianapolis. Yeah, I do too. Cincinnati's defense doesn't look good. Vontae's perfect cheating aside, Cincinnati's defense doesn't look good. And, I mean, I know Andy Dalton is capable of a lot. And if A.J. Green is sidelined again, I mean, he missed last week. It may be another couple weeks. Without him out there, with Jones out for the season, that offense isn't the same either. Eifert's out. I I can't bet against an Indianapolis team that can put up points in bunches at home. Yep, I would agree. Um, although I'm very happy to have Mohamed Sanu on my fantasy team. Yeah. Um, that and Gio I, Bernard. Are... Cincinnati just not looking great in Indy against Andrew Luck. Uh, the next game, I don't think this is going to be too hard. Even though St. Louis is a really well-coached team with Jeff Fisher and they stay in it, even when they don't win, they're in it till the very end. Um, they were against Philly. They were last week. I like Seattle in this game coming off angry. They're the better team. They'll get a revenge victory in St. Louis. St. Louis is the best 1-4 in four team in football. They'll be the best 1-5 in five team in football on Monday morning. But right. They're not going to win. Right. Tennessee at Washington, battle of two stink houses. Um, fourth, I picked Washington. Yeah, fourth time. Washington's the home team. Yep. Uh, the other thing about it is Tennessee, I don't even think they know on a daily basis what their offense is. And that game against the Jaguars, I listened to a good chunk of it on the way to the Eagles game because we were amused by how bad this game could possibly be. And it was. Yep, And I think Washington will have a little bit more offense than Jacksonville, and that could be enough. Yeah, they have offensive potential, definitely, at least with Kirk Cousins throwing the ball down the field. Cleveland at Jacksonville. I have Cleveland in this team I really like. Good defense. Um, Brian Hoyer has been playing spectacular. He, No one is talking about Johnny football because of Brian Hoyer. He's been great. And they run the football. I mean, they're running the football twice as well as they did last year. Um I like Cleveland. I think they're going to they're going to get a big victory. I like I picked Cleveland. I like Cleveland. I think Cleveland is the better team. Would not be surprised if Jacksonville wins this game. 2 weeks in a row now, Jacksonville has had an opponent on the ropes as on the ropes as they can get them. Tennessee didn't dominate them. 
Pittsburgh didn't dominate them. Cleveland is that kind of team that seems to make a lot of mistakes early. They've, they've come from behind in a couple of their wins. They look good late, but for three quarters, they don't always look great. And if Jacksonville can kind of take advantage of that, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the game. I don't think they're going to, but if come Monday we're talking about, hey, Jacksonville won, especially at home, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm still picking Cleveland. Considering there'll be about twenty thousand people there, I don't think it means much that they're at home. But that's just me. No. Atlanta. It's, at, it's a little different though situation with just being at home. Atlanta at Baltimore. Um, I think we're both going to take Baltimore here, especially after last week for yeah. you. Yeah, I think so. Um, here's the game that I really struggled with: uh, Kansas City at San Diego. Um, coming off a bye, I pick I, I pick KC in this game. Um, I think that San Diego ha- has proven this year they're legit team. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. And I'm yep. not saying that Phillip Rivers isn't having a great year because he is. But Kansas City is the kind of team with high potential. They're looking they're coming out of a bye really feeling like they are two and three and not nearly as good of a, a, a good of a team on paper with their record as they really are. Yep. I think they're going to come out fresh legs, win this game in San Diego. San Diego barely just beat the Raiders, you know? So yes. that's that is concerning. And I think that you have a team that's hungry and a team that may not be as hungry. It's just, just my gut feeling. I'm going with KC. This is the fifth game I struggled with, where I chose the home team. I, I'm taking San Diego because they're the home team. Okay. I know, you know, you talk about how Arrowhead is a tough place to come in and win. San Diego is not as tough like that, but being at home will be. Yeah, they're three and zero at home this year. San and I, like you said, Kansas City's hungry coming off. Of Andy Reid, when he was the coach of the Eagles, as much as we hated him at times. The Eagles were something ridiculous like 12-2 and two after a bye. You can call that having an off week. <laughs> I mean, you can call that having, you know, depending on who the opponent is. But that stat in and of itself is pretty impressive. He gets his teams ready, especially, like you said, with fresh legs. Jamal Charles got another week to kind of right. heal up the nagging injuries. They've got everybody firing on all cylinders after a bye week usually. Going to be a really good game. I just I, I took San Diego because of the home team again. All righty. Um, so we got two different picks this week. Yep. Giants at Dallas, safe pick. Dallas, I think, at home. Played so well against Seattle. you got to go yeah. with them. Here's, here's what's going to suck for you as a Giants fan. The next five weeks, the schedule is pretty brutal. Oh, yeah. And I'll, I'll get into this once we're done because I want to make a point about Tom Coughlin, but I could very well see them being three and seven at the end, at, at when they get to – you know, they have their bye week before the last of those five game stretch. Where the, yeah, they Dallas have their bye week uh, week the, after next week. Yeah, so I can see them being three and seven come going into Thanksgiving weekend. I think they'll be four and six. <clears throat> I, I I know they have a tough schedule, but you know, they the Giants have a way of sneaking out these games, and I think that you know if they were to go into Dallas and and be down, and Eli brings them back, I wouldn't be shocked. It's just the thing is. When you have some, something as so debilitating as a terrible offensive line, it really does need to improve. And now you're missing not only your starting running back for the next couple of weeks still, but right. no you're weapons. also missing Victor Cruz, who was your weapon. Beckham looks – Beckham's good. Beckham looks good. And he that weird juggling almost catch he made like showed he's got some good ball skills, if nothing else. I don't know how you overcome that. But I'll make my point about Tom Coughlin after we're done. Can't wait to hear that. Yeah. Um, Arizona at Oakland. Um Arizona. Yeah. I, <laughs> Oakland, you know, they did what they did last week, but yeah. No. Uh, San Fran at Denver. Sixth time. Denver at home. Yep. 
going to be a shootout. There's no question about that. There, that game is going to be a shootout. I don't know if San Francisco can hang with them. That's the thing. Yeah, San Francisco, I was watching the They're game against um, St. Louis. So many opportunities to put them away and just couldn't do it. Carlos Hyde, Frank Gore, who's going to get the ball, who's not? It's confusing. They're inconsistent for a team that is, has so much talent. They, they are the one in both of the five and ones in Dallas and Philadelphia, and yet they're terribly inconsistent. Yep. Houston at Pittsburgh? I don't know who's going to watch this next Monday night. I mean, I don't know what my. I have an eye doctor appointment, so I might not be able to watch it. But I, Houston, I'm taking Pittsburgh all at right, home Monday right. night. Mm-mm. So um, then, let's go. Uh, we have three different picks. We'll just do the same thing. Barring well, barring a tie, we'll just say whoever wins two or more. Oh yeah, we're going. Yeah, yeah. Whoever wins two or more, lunch. Right. Is that the same thing as double or nothing? It is sort of. Well, sort of. Well, no, because we're back to even footing this week. So. Not really, because we tied you're this still, week. You're still ahead. Yeah, quote right. Unquote. Yeah, not quote unquote. I'm ahead. Yeah, you're ahead. <laughs> All right, you're ahead. All right. So <laughs> what, what? 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 How are you going to kill Tom Coughlin? I got to hear this. I, I understand the injuries. I understand the schedule. I also understand the fact that the Giants' first half record is well under 500 in Tom Coughlin's tenure. I understand that he's won two Super Bowls, and I understand that Mike Francesa said Tom Coughlin is a Hall of Fame coach because he's won in Jacksonville, he's won in New York with two sets of people, this, that, the other. That's fine. I agree with that. You have Dallas, Indianapolis, Seattle, San Francisco, Dallas again, and the bye before you get into December. I don't think they're going to go 0-5 in that stretch. I don't expect them to go 0-5 in that stretch. Very well possible, based on the records and the teams and the way they're playing, they can go 0-5 in that stretch. If they go into December 3-8, and even if they come back to go 8-8 eight and eight again like they did last year, how many more years does Tom Coughlin get to go 8-8, eight and 9-7 eight, and, and hope that it's good enough to squeak into the playoffs and they get hot? Because that's what they've done both times they've won the Super Bowl. And I don't say that to dismiss them in any way because you still have to win. If you go in as a wild card, you still got to win four games to win the Super Bowl. So I don't say that in a dismissive tone, but they got hot right at the right time, the two times they won the Super Bowl. And both years, you know, you had the David Tyree helmet catch the first time. You know, the second time it was um, Plexico Burris made the, made the catch. In the no, Super it was Bowl. Mario Manningham. Mario Manningham. I get it. And I get what they've done in that situation. But how many more years do you let this team be – According to their record, average to slightly above average at best before you're like, well, can somebody else maybe do better? Because it's been the same personnel in one key spot the entire time. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, though. You can't dismiss or what you just did basically was say two Super Bowl teams. You had Tyree and Manningham, kind of fluke catches, and then you had Brady missing Wes Welker. They helped. But these things happen in football games. They happen in the least important games with between right. 2 and 14 and 3 13 teams or they happen in the Super Bowl. Those just happened in grand scales. Does not take away from the fact that the Giants under Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin have won two Super Bowls. That's right. So I, and like I said, I don't dismiss that at all right. because you still have to win those games regardless of how. And I think that even the most talented teams the Giants have had in the past under Coughlin's reign, sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. Uh these past few years um, the big guys, the offensive linemen, the defensive linemen, have not been great for the Giants. Um, last year, they were really bad. This year, the offensive line is even worse. Mm-hmm. They they shot, signed uh, Jeff Shorts. He's been hurt. Uh, 
Um, bunch of really bad things have happened. Chris Snee retired. Somehow Will Beatty G- still has a job. Yeah. Well, generally, I look at this team, and most people did at the beginning of the year, Lou, as not a very skilled and good football team. They surprise people. They go 3-0 and in the yep. past three weeks. They lose in Philly. And I think that people need to figure out what they expect. Did they expect Tom Coughlin to go into this year with that roster and succeed? Well, maybe 7-9, and nine, maybe 8-8. Eight and eight. That would have been basically their ceiling. And that's, I think, about where we both pegged them at the right. beginning of the year, too. No yes. coach. No coach in the NFL, Bill Parcells, Vince Lombardi, could make that offensive line block anybody to the extent where they should. So I think it's the wrong time and the wrong season to start talking about the quality of coaching they're getting from Tom Coffin because they're not, we're not watching them, and it's not like the Bears, the Lions in years past where they're just squandering talent. They just There's none there. And their defense has talent. Their defense played pretty well and has all year. But that offensive line can take away so much. And when you have a fourth-round starting running back and Andre Williams and Victor Cruz is out, Ruben Randall's been good, Odell Beckham Jr. is starting to produce, what, what more do you want? You know, where, are you, where, where is the, the production that's, that you're not getting? Because you're getting it from the people you expected it from. Right. And then the question becomes this then. If that's the case, then when does this become an indictment of Jerry Reese? It should. And I wrote this last year. You know, Jerry Reese is personally responsible for what's happened these past few years. I mean, he had the choice to go out and draft a lineman higher or go out and draft a tight end. And obviously, the Larry Donnell, that success, you don't hear much about Jerry Reese, but you hear the, na- the nasty things with, you know, why don't they have, why do they have to go spend so much money on a corner? Why didn't they draft one even before they drafted Prince and Awakamoa? Why did they draft Odell Beckham when Zach Martin was on the board? Right, that kind of thing. So he gets blamed a lot for those things. In general, the offensive line is pretty much an indictment on him. He didn't pay enough attention to it. And he won, that second Super Bowl was won with a lot of guys that Ernie Acorsi put together. Yes, and that offensive line was together for three years almost. Yep. I mean, every single game you had Soybert, Snee, O'Hara, Deal, and Kareem McKenzie. Every single game. You know, if one got hurt, he was back the next play. There's something to be said about that. Yep. And um, I agree. We have not had it since. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated, or I think it was ESPN the magazine. So. It's it's huge. That's been a big part. You know, I mentioned earlier that the LaShawn McCoy that averaged 5.8 yards a carry is, finally showed up last week. The Eagles' offensive line, they've started a different starting five in five of the first six games because last week was the first time they started the same two. Yep. So, again, it, you know, it has a big effect. I, to me, it just looking on the outside, it's like Tom Coughlin got fired in Jacksonville because they reached critical mass at that point. He had taken the team as far as he could go. They did what they did. They had that amazing playoff game against the Steelers with David Garrard at the helm. I, I just wonder, it's the Bobby Cox syndrome. Bobby Cox was a great manager. Atlanta had great teams. They made the playoffs and won their division every year and never did anything with it. Right. It's not on that level because Tom Coughlin has won more than that in, in New York. But, you know, you all almost wonder if that's a statement that needs to be made to try to do something. So, I mean, really, it's it's – Kind of more of the when, not if, Rex Ryan is going to get fired watch, I think, in New York. Yeah. But I think the Tom Coughlin thing, to me at least, seems like, okay, they've had this and this and this and this. Whoever's fault it is, usually the coach is the one that ends up being the fall guy in the NFL. 
So that's that's where that comes from out of my my judgment anyway. That's yeah, I get coming it. from on that. I get it. Let's talk a little bit about baseball before we before. We I was going to say up. we're running pretty long. Yeah. We should probably um, make this short. Maybe we go more into baseball when we know the, the yeah, World Series. Yeah, we can series. go more into baseball next week when we know the World Series. Kansas City should be there. If they lose four in a row after the run they've been on, I'd be surprised. Um, I laughed at you. I Not laughed at you, but I laughed to you. I was like, get ready for that Kansas City Giants World Series. Nobody's going to watch, and we're halfway there. Yeah, I mean, and I'll watch. I'll watch it because I want to see the Royals win the World Series if they get there. I, the Giants and the Cardinals have been to the last five World Series, regardless of who wins this NLCS. They've been to the last five World Series, and something like eight out of the last thirteen. How much? How badly are you rooting for the Cardinals because they're they were your pick? I, obviously, as much as I can because they were my pick to go to the World Series. But you know what I. When it comes to baseball, after 162 games in two rounds, if the team I picked to go to the World Series or win the World Series loses in the LCS, I mean, it's not as bad as me picking the Red Sox to, <laughs> to win the division, you know? So Yeah, our short-term picks were, <clears throat> were even worse. Yeah, but Kansas City, last night, by the time you listen to this, by the time this is produced, they may have already swept because the game is this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, they may be spraying champagne. Uh they scored one run on a ground out, one on a sack fly. The back end of their bullpen retired 12 guys in a row over the last four innings. I mean, defense is setting the tone. When when in baseball wow. do you say that? I mean, it's really unbelievable. Baseball defense is important, but a lot of times it gets overvalued. It's like this guy doesn't have a glove, but we'll throw him at first base. This team, the diving plays that Lorenzo Kane has made, yeah. uh, Moose's play in the stands last night. The catch Kane made running away on yep. that foul ball in the eighth inning. Yep, that was a great play night. that didn't get talked about too much. Yeah, so that setting the tone, the fact that they're starting pitching, Jeremy Guthrie hadn't pitched in like a year and a half, comes out, throws five yep. good innings last night. The, the, they're getting contributions from guys, and they're gaining momentum from yep. plays that you wouldn't normally expect. And Moustakis, who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn half the season, is hot at the plate. He had a hitting streak that was finally broken last night. Um, his high hitting streak of the season was six, and he had a hit in the first six postseason, six or seven postseason games. And then Gerard Dyson, his speed, had a lot to do with that second run. Steve Pierce has to play off the base. He's out of position. Hosmer slaps one through the left side that may be a first baseman who's playing regular defense on, on, a, on a first at first base on that play. Maybe gets a glove on at least. Dyson goes to third. Sack fly. Game over. Speed and defense. And their pitching has been pretty good, especially the back end of that bullpen. Fraser had a good sixth inning last night. Yeah, but Fraser's back, inning was clutch. The back end of that bullpen, like I said, they retired, I believe, 16 in a row because Guthrie had a perfect fifth. As well, so that would be 16 in a row retired to end the game. I mean, that's that's incredible. The the Orioles hitters kind of look like those Yankees hitters against Detroit, yeah. uh, two years ago. Yep, because they're just lost. I mean, did you see Nelson Cruz's swings against Holland in the ninth? Did you see Adam Jones's only hack against Holland? His, I mean, his weak pop up hack. They yeah. look lost, and that's so dangerous. There's nothing more dangerous than that. You'd rather line out every at bat all game than you know these dinky pop ups, strikeouts. They just look like offensively, they're not there. And there's something to be said for this back end of the bullpen that's a lot like the Yankees' bullpen in this regard. The seventh inning is Kelvin Herrera's. Dude throws a fastball 92% of the time. You can't hit it. 
Dellen Betances throws a fastball 92% of the time. You can't hit it. And when his fastball is not effective, he throws in that curveball, which is ridiculous. Maybe he's a little bit more Wade Davis in that regard because Davis comes in, doesn't throw as hard as Herrera on the whole, but has that – 97. Yeah, on the whole, 97 compared to 100. Right. Uh, But he throws in that that breaking ball that just drops off the table. And then by the time you get to Greg Holland, whose stuff is not – I mean, let's be fair. Greg Holland is not Cy Young on the mound out there. But he's got good stuff, and by the time you get to him, you're just so confused as to what you're seeing that his pitches look better. His his very good pitches, don't let me dismiss him in any way, his very good pitches look excellent by the time you get to him. Wade Davis had the best regular season of any reliever in, in yep. the, the AL. Better than Batances. Had a his one, ERA was a better. one ERA yeah. in 70 innings. I mean, it's ridiculous. Insane. Um, he threw even more innings than Batances. Obviously, he didn't have the strikeouts that he did, but... Yeah, I mean, bullpen, I, I was talking to Chris about this. The playoffs have been so confusing because no specific thing really is making each team win. A lot of times, like last year, we had, well, the Red Sox one through nine. People want that lineup that yep. is one through Circular. nine. Circular lineup, right. This year, the only real thing that is translated from each round, you got to have a steady bullpen. Yep. Teams like the Tigers – their bullpen imploded. Teams like the Dodgers, their bullpen imploded. Really, you know, these teams that are left all have solid bullpens because starting pitchers are going four and two thirds every night. But they've all they all have different things that have helped them win too. St. Louis is winning because of home runs. Baltimore is losing because they've got those guys in their old lineup that drive in runs. They're hitting a lot of doubles and extra base hits and home runs, which they led the league in. St. Uh, St. Louis and Kansas City are a little bit more speed, defense, and comebacks in the in the cases of both of them actually. Colton Wong with another walk-off. Kansas City's won three or four of their seven games in their last at-bat. I mean, it's it's a completely different it's a completely different dynamic, and it will be fun if the World Series is one that matches up that way. If it's Giants KC or if it's Cardinals Orioles somehow, if it's Giants KC, it's going to be that like you know. The speed and defense and all that against San Francisco, their starting pitching is great. Their offense is meh so far. Same way on the opposite side. The Orioles have that great offense, whereas St. Louis has pretty good pitching and they're the comeback kids. If you end up with a with a Giants-Orioles World Series, it's going to be a little weird. But if yeah. you end up with St. Louis-Kansas City, it's going to be like, well, who, who gets the last laugh on the comeback, you know? Yeah. So it's going to be fun to see what happens like I said, I, I don't foresee any way the Orioles are making the World Series at this point. I just don't see Kansas City losing four games in a row. We'll see who they face. They haven't lost yet in the playoffs, so I don't think they're going to lose and, four in a row. And home field advantage is not so not so home friendly either. The home team is just about under 500 in the playoffs so far. So good luck with that home field advantage there, Kansas City, because you may not uh, may not get to take advantage of it. Uh, with that, that's going to do it for this edition of the Yesman. We'll be back next week with a little, uh, some more football goodness, some more World Series goodness, uh, and all the goodness you've come to expect from the podcast. So, for my co-host Doug Williams, for our guest Seth Rothman, who's been sitting here listening to us babble for the last forty-five minutes after his segment was done, I'm Lou DePietro saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>